0: Yo, yo, yo! It's your girl and boy, CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of The Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better. And it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. Boy, do I have a treat for you today. I've been watching this man present for over 10 years now. He's been a real inspiration to our franchise. Um, If you're a fitness enthusiast, if you care about working out, if you care about working out correctly, this is the man that you want to listen to. Mike Boyle has been the strength and conditioning coach for Boston University, the Boston Bruins the Boston Red Sox, the year that they won the uh, World Series. Well, not just any year, right? But 2013 is when they one of the years that they won the World Series. And uh, yeah, strengthcoach.com. He's just doing so much for our industry to educate strength and conditioning coaches and trainers alike to just know what the heck to do with their clients and how everybody should work out correctly and giving everybody the latest science. So Mike Boyle, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. It like, took us a couple tries to get this going, but we're, we got it.
0: I know. I know. But I, I'm so glad I got to uh, get into your busy schedule. Uh, well, you know, i got to ask you this, and I don't know how often you get asked this question, but I find that when it comes to success, which you've had a great deal of success in the fitness industry, and I feel like success can also be defined by how many you've impacted. And I know that you've just impacted a lot of coaches, and that has far... Reaching fingers and ripples as far as how many they impact. So, has there been a particular struggle for the Overcomers podcast over the years? Uh, you know, whether it uh, comes when you're first getting into the industry or over your time in business that uh, you attribute to being a big part of your success?
1: I think there's been a lot. I think I, we're probably all successful as a result of the struggles. I think early on, I mean it was tough when i got into the field it wasn't a full time job and you had to you had to have a second job i was bartending at night and then i was trying to start a business and i was trying to be a dad and i was trying to be a husband and and i so i could probably tell you there was a number of struggles and i don't know if any one of them was like hey this is the one that really put me over the top or more just continually trying to figure out how to deal with whatever life's throwing at you at the moment, I think the biggest struggle, and it was funny at the perform better thing is just the whole imposter syndrome. Is this, you know, is this even supposed to happen? Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge piece of the struggle. And I, I said it perform better. I still have those kind of recurring dreams about getting found out and and people realize, wow, this guy doesn't know anything. And (laughs) he's been making it all up all along. Or I have the ones where, I haven't gone to class and I have to take a test. I think we all struggle. I guess the struggles, I think, are very similar mm-hmm. with most people.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it, it's funny. You know, Mike Boyle is mentioning uh, the Perform Better conference, which you've been presenting for Perform Better for how long now? It's been as long as they've been going, probably.
1: Yes, we the first the inspiration for the first Perform Better was actually an NSCA conference that we did at BU we put it on at massachusetts state conference and chris poirier came and thought wow you know this would be a really good way for us to sell equipment because i always i jokingly say there's a lot of people who when you say perform better people think of them almost as an education company yes oh yeah that it's like no, no, they sell stuff that's their real job their primary job is to sell equipment but they've done such a good job with education so I've been there since the very first one, which was, again, probably, I'm going to guess, 99, maybe. So it's been almost 25 years. Uh, and they do think of Perform Better as an education company because what they do, they just do
0: with such excellence. You know, for me, um, that has always been my attraction to perform better because I knew that when I went there, I was going to get nothing but the best presenters, right? You know, the world's leading spinal specialist. We got Mike Boyle, who's been the strength and conditioning coach for so many and such an authority that, you know, I want to go to his session and see what the latest science is. And, you know, great cook and all the people too, by the way, it's funny to hear Mike reference. We got a question is uh, our panel got a question on the imposter syndrome. How do you get rid of it? And so he was just referencing that, but yet Isn't it interesting to know that even when you're successful, that you can still have those thoughts about these kind of things and that, um, you know, this is when you're respected by the world's leading spinal specialists or a physical therapist and invented the functional movement screen. When they come to you for advice, you can still even have those kind of questions, you know, or those kind of thoughts, right?
1: Oh, yeah. And I think, honestly, if you don't, you're probably one of those Dunning-Kruger people who thinks much better at things than you are mainly because you haven't had enough experience yet because I do think everybody has it and maybe they don't. I, I haven't asked everybody, but I do think that a lot of the guys on the panel all alluded to that because the, the question I think was, you know, how do you get rid of it? Or how do you get over it? And I'm like, you don't get over it. I'm almost 63 years old. I'm not over it. I don't anticipate ever being over it. I don't think, I don't think I'll ever stop worrying about it. I do my talk and perform better. And I think, you know, my kids will still touch me, how was it? Was it good? And I worry mm-hmm. something like, ah, eh, well, I don't think it was all right. It was all right. I think you know, it was okay. Yeah. I don't think I've ever it's rare that I talk on the phone with them afterwards and think, "Oh my god, I hit it out of the park. It was unbelievable." You know, I didn't didn't miss a beat. I didn't feel like there was a slide out of place. I didn't have a video that didn't run. You know, I didn't and I worry I worry about all of those little things. And I feel like successful people worry about little things.
0: Yeah. That's really good. Successful people worry about little things. That's a, that's a good, one. you know, Frank Nash asked me before my presentation, he said, are you nervous? And I said, I think I have the right amount of nervousness, <laughs> right? You know, like I think that you should always have like a little bit of a, uh, an insecurity that makes you want to do better. Right. You know, something to where, you know, you're, you're still searching uh, to know that it's it's not going to be perfection. You know, there's always a next level for you to go to. There's always something new to learn. And uh, always something new to bring to your audience, which by the way, I want my audience. I want Overcomer Nation, uh, who may not have ever had the chance to learn uh, from you to hear uh, about some of your, the things that you teach. So if I could, I'm going to go to a conference that was just before the pandemic. And I bought a mat because of you. And it was, uh, I was walking on rocks. I still have it underneath my desk, you know? And so, um, that's the thing. That's what you're going to get today, over Nation. You're going to get, Mike does everything with sound science and a ton of research. And, and it's just so awesome to watch your presentations because everything you say, you back up, you know, this way and that way. And so um, I went there and it was about lower back pain. So if you have lower back pain, you know, listen, uh, listen right now. Uh, Mike, could you talk a little bit about, you know, that mat that I bought where I'm walking on rocks and
1: what? Yeah, that so was awesome. that was, that originated from a guy named philip beach who's actually uh i believe either an australian or new zealand osteopath and a friend of mine another therapist friend of mine kind of turned me on to his book muscles and meridians and one of the things that he talked about was that the the muscles are the the nerves from your feet are originating in your low back so that if you stimulate your feet by walking on rocks or by walking on any sort of kind of uneven surface anything that's going to stimulate the bottoms of your feet that you would actually kind of send a feedback mechanism up to these like multifidi these small muscles that are around your lumbar spine and that it would actually contribute to back health and i remember thinking wow that makes it makes perfect sense he showed he's got the diagram up there he's showing how these nerve endings are are literally ending on the bottoms of your feet and he's talking about how the fact that like your feet and your hands and some other areas are areas where you have the highest number of nerve endings mm-hmm. and that stimulation to those, particularly the feet ones is going to be good for your low back. And I thought, why not try it? And it was, it was so successful because they were talking about um, it actually was a, a woman named Anna Hartman, who's really, really smart. And she was saying how she had put like a, a boot tray, which is a Northeast thing. If you're not from the Northeast, you probably don't know what a boot tray is, but a boot tray is something that you'd put boots in at the front door of your house when you were coming in from it being wet or snowy or whatever. But she had filled boot trays with stones and put them in front of her sink. So when she did the dishes, she was standing on rocks. And then she was saying she'd put a boot tray in her shower so that when she was in the shower, she was standing on rocks. And I started to think about that and I started going out in my yard and I've had back pain. I I had stone in my yard. And so I started going out and just walking around on the stone. And lo and behold, honestly, my back started to feel better. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I've read the science, I've done the experiment, I feel better. And then I started talking to Rob and Chris about it and realized there were these commercially available quote unquote rock mats, plastic rocks. And they started picking them up and selling them. And I do that all the time. When I have some, whenever I have a client who complains of that sort of episodic back pain, my back goes out kind of person, I always say, get a rock mat, get on the rock mat, get your feet, start stimulating the bottoms of your feet because it's, and again, I, we could, we could ramble on about this stuff forever, but I also got in at one point, I really get into the toe shoes. Right. And and for the same reason, because you start to realize that when you first try to put the toe shoes on, you can't put them on Mm -hmm. because you can't get your toes in the right holes. Right. when I started talking to people about that, they were like, well, what difference does that make? I said, imagine how you'd feel if I gave you gloves. Mm-hmm. And when you tried to put them on, you thought, oh, I can't tell if I have two fingers in one finger of the glove. I can't figure out where my baby finger is. You would go to the hospital and get a brain scan. You'd be like, okay, I have some horrendous neurological disease and I need to be, you know, i something has to happen here. But suddenly when it's your foot and you realize, oh, wow, I got two toes in the same... Little uh sleeve here, people don't even think about it. Or oh, I can't, I, I can't tell you the number of athletes I gave them to said, I'm not wearing them, I can't put them on. And I was like, I think the reason you should be wearing them is because you can't put them on, not not in the other direction, right? Right, and, but hard for people to think they have that paradigm shift, right? Right. And it's really hard. And it, so I think there's I guess the the important thing for me is to always realize that there's things that you don't know. And there's things that you haven't thought about. And it's sort of, you, you get that point. I remember uh, Mark Forsaken actually at one of the Perform Better seminars had the best line because he said, hey, he said, if there's anybody out here really thinks they know it all, he said, do me a favor and stay after. He said, because I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thought, so, because imagine, imagine, you know, whatever training world, whatever world you're in, imagine thinking I have all the answers. I can't, I can't envision being that, um, that cocky or that conceited or that delusional that I believe that everything that I know right now is the end of the knowledge base that's out there. And that everything that I'm doing is absolutely the best. And I've said this a lot on podcasts too. I get accused a lot. People say, oh I'll see people write stuff on the internet and say stuff like oh he's a flip flopper he's always changing his mind every time I hear him talk he's saying something different and I I always think people are criticizing me for learning which is amazing you know you learn and then you get up in front of people and say hey i used to think this i studied this person's work now i think this and people are critical of that
0: yeah do you need a disclaimer that says I reserve the right to get better?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I reserve the right to change my mind. I reserve the right to acknowledge that there might be somebody smarter than me mm. in the world. Yeah. Uh, especially, and I don't, I mean, I don't think fitness is all that unique in that regard. Mm-hmm. But I do think we have probably a higher than normal level of either conceit or that kind of Dunning-Kruger effect of people who are just too dumb to, you know, know what they don't know.
0: Yeah, certainly easy for the ego to creep into a, a fitness industry as opposed to others. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you brought up Mark Vestagen because I was uh, reading an article and uh, it was uh, it was an older article, but it was uh, one that you had wrote about um, maybe lessons learned and uh, things you wish you had done. And you said that he was one of the people that you wish that you met sooner. Uh, and so since you've influenced so many with your work, uh, maybe you could name a, a couple of people that have influenced you and why, if you would.
1: Um, From a coaching standpoint, the biggest influence on me, and I just posted a YouTube clip of it today from another podcast that I did, was Jack Parker, who was our hockey coach at BU. I think he was the my biggest professional influence. I probably mainly well not mainly but I was with him for a really long time anyway and I just learned a lot of really incredible lessons for him but when you get like into the field I think Stuart McGill again you talked about was really influential on you know the people that have changed my philosophy where I've gone to a seminar and thought wow we're way off Mm -hmm. and I felt that way with Mark like when I met Mark for and I thought wow this kid is a really sharp young guy and he's cutting edge and i remember again walking away thinking there were three or four things that they were doing he was then at international performance institute this was before athlete's performance before exos but i walked away and i thought there's three or four things he's doing better than we are that we need to do better Mm -hmm. and it wasn't you know world beating stuff but they they had had they had a medicine ball wall and they were doing medicine ball throws off the wall and I thought we got to get medicine ball walls. I got to figure out a way to do that. And they were, they got really gotten into great cooks kind of chopping and lifting patterns. So they were doing, they were the first people I saw doing diagonal patterns in the weight room, like moving more kind of through the frontal plane kind -hmm. of stuff. And I thought, wow, we're really missing there. You know, we're, we're very, still very sagittal dominant. And I just, and they were doing, they were doing a way better job than we were of teaching lateral movement. And I remember going back to our staff and thinking, oh, we got to change all these things. And my staff would always get mad at me. Mm-hmm. You know, why do you have to change? And I was like, and it, we're changing because I saw somebody do something that I think is better. And that's how I was with Stuart McGill. I remember going back and saying, hey, guess what? You know, all the core stuff we're doing, that's all out. It's all out the window. And everybody, same thing. What are you talking about? I said, I listened to this really smart guy. And he said, you know, all the crunches and sit-ups and reverse crunches. and." Twisting things, all the stuff that we're doing is all wrong. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, our, even our own staff didn't like it. But the good thing for me, that never deterred me. I was never one to think, "Oh, I'm." I was never going to keep doing something that I genuinely believed was wrong mm-hmm. because somebody else had had people in this. You go back to like the imposter syndrome. I had people say, "Well, I don't want to go back to my clients and tell them that I was wrong," and right. I. Thought, no, I said, said you got to reframe it yeah. as, as more right. Like I would go back to my clients and be like, wow. You know, I went to this seminar and I listened to the world's leading expert in low back pain. And man, there's some things that we have to do differently or do better. Yeah. And they yeah. would look at me and think, that's awesome. Like you went and, you know, you went to a weekend seminar and you listened to the world's leading expert in low back pain. And you were thinking about how you could make the program better. No one ever thought less of me for that. Yeah but they that's a main concern for everybody else it's really big concern for people
0: yeah imposter syndrome right you go back and you think that because you're making an improvement that somebody's going to think less of you but I, I don't know being the being the client i think that you're like wow this investment's really paying
1: off this guy keeps on learning and bringing me more and more cutting edge information so um exactly. that is exactly your are 100% and that's what i would tell our coaches all the time in terms of because I'd go back to somebody specific, like, you know, I'd say, hey, Travis, I was at this seminar and this guy was talking about this and I was thinking about your back problem. And all the client would think about was, wow, you went to a seminar and you thought about me. That's yeah. all they hear. And they never hear the part about we were doing something wrong. They just hear you went to a seminar and thought about me. And and that's the part like now you're over the hump yeah. because they are so excited that you went to a seminar and what you thought about at that seminar was them and their situation and how you could make them, whatever, feel better. So that stuff ended up like for us, I, and I can a hundred percent say it. The biggest pushback I've ever gotten was from our staff, more more than from our athletes or our clients. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know as coaches we have to stay coachable i was in martin's session and he did a great job of this he was like everybody raise your hand if you think uh having a coach is important and so everybody raises their hand and then they're like now raise your hand if you have a coach right and then like all the hands were like feeling kind of convicted but not as many went up so if we're going to be coaches and coach people we have to stay coachable to getting better ourselves as coaches you know um and that's what you're that's what you're demonstrating right there um, this time, speaking of Stu McGill, this time at the Perform Better seminar, you were talking about lower lumbar rotation. Um, would you would you share with our audience that didn't have the benefit of being there, maybe a few of the principles that you were trying to communicate um, at the seminar?
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that we really try to get everybody to understand, because um, people will always talk about things with the idea that you need, they think you need lumbar movement. And the reality is you, you don't, you have, it's very specific. You have a very specific amount that you need and more is not better. And I think that was, uh, I use the, uh, the exorcist analogy because I think I like extreme analogies where people go like, Oh, I get it. But talking about the fact that like, there's a reason I can't turn my head around right now and see behind me.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And, and everybody knows that right? Nobody expects, nobody thinks, oh, you know, I want you to work on your neck range of motion. I'm going to start grabbing you by the, by the chin and trying to tug you around. Cause I really want you to be able to see behind you. We know that you get about 90 degrees and that's good. Mm-hmm. But for some reason in the low back, people think that there's some sort of motion deficit that they need to correct. When in fact, that is not the case at all. And that your lumbar spine are much more limited rotationally than your cervical spine in the sense that they have somewhere between two and five degrees per vertebrae of rotation. And, you know, you realize, that, you know, I always say like it, I always look at it like, a, you know, if you had a stack of hockey pucks piled on each other and you realized, okay, you know, this puck can move five degrees and this one can move two and this one can move two and this one can move two. The total range of lumbar motion is about 13 degrees. And again, much like the neck, you don't want more than that. But you'll watch people doing all kinds of crazy stretches and throwing their legs over and being on their stomach, doing scorpions. And I kind of look at them and I'm like, what are you trying to do? And -hmm. what you're essentially trying to do is you're trying to mobilize an area that does not benefit from more mobility. So you're effectively making yourself feel worse as you pursue making yourself feel better. And so I was I spend a reasonable amount of time trying to get people to grasp that concept. Mm -hmm. Because I think again, from a, from a spinal health standpoint, I think it's absolutely critical. I I watch people all the time and I think, Oh, don't do that. Yeah. You know, whether it's, you know, 90, 90 stretches or, you know, hip crossovers or there's a lot of things that people do and it goes back, you know, you said science-based, I always ask people, why do you do that? And almost always will have, the almost always have the same answer. It feels good. Right. And I right. look at it, I'm like, mm, no, you think it feels good. If your low back pain isn't going away, then you doing that is not making you feel better. Maybe temporarily, you know, people say, oh, it makes my back crack and I feel better when my back cracks. And I'm like, no, nope, mm-hmm. not a good idea. Well, you
0: know, I'm one of the people that suffered and still suffers with low back pain. And you mentioned your own low back pain, and I'm sure we have some listeners that have it. Are there best stretches uh when you have low back pain because we talked about some that maybe you shouldn't be doing I would
1: say I would say no there's probably yes I guess I would I would say you need to stretch your hip flexors but you need to be really good at stretching your hip flexors most people don't stretch their hip flexors well in mm-hmm. terms of most people go into a lot of lumbar extension to try to stretch their hip flexors but if you look at where your like how your so as comes up on your lumbar spine you pushing your lumbar spine forward, you going into an arch isn't helping you to stretch. So as like, we almost want to try to get somebody in like a half kneel position and then almost get them to bring their ribs down, try to tighten their abs so that they stabilize their spine and then they can in fact stretch their hip flexors. But I think stretching hip flexors, stretching hip rotators, stretching lateral hamstrings, but I don't think there's no amount of back stretching that I think is good for you. And it, we really don't do any. So you know, we don't do any rotational back stretching. We don't do any, um, you know, kind of, well, we'll do a little bit of toe touch stuff, but generally not a lot. like we don't try to stretch anybody's back. We very rarely are targeting their back because your back is just where you feel it. And the analogy I always use is that, um, you know if you, uh, if you had a leak in your upstairs bedroom, And you're up there looking and thinking, wow, there's a water stain in the upstairs bedroom. You wouldn't spend a lot of time in that bedroom patching and painting to try to stop the water from coming in. Right. You would know intuitively, okay, I have a problem on my roof. I have loose shingles or maybe the flashing is loose or whatever it is. But you would get on a ladder and go look on the roof. With the human body, we don't do that. We focus on the water stain. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, we waste a lot of time because you know if someone says to me my back hurts what i want to know is why does your back hurt what are you doing that's making your back hurt what's wrong that's making your back hurt it generally your back doesn't hurt you know we've had so many and, and you're not as old as i am but you're probably not a kid either but we've had so many at one point it was just stretch you know william flexion exercises pull your knees to your chest that's going to make your back better and then it was just get your abs stronger you know get just do crunches and do sit ups make your abs stronger that's going to make your back better and we kept not getting people's backs better. When we finally got to the stabilization phase, the, like the plank, side plank, the kind of McGill stuff, then suddenly people's backs started to get better. Mm-hmm. We started to realize, and then, and that's why, like we were talking about, that's when you start looking at um, muscle function and functional anatomy. And so for somebody like me, I'm reading, Uh, Porterfield uh, and DeRose's mechanical low back pain. And I remember reading, I remember the line exactly. It said, rather than considering the abdominal muscles as rotators for which they might have the function, it might be better to consider them as anti-rotators or anti-lateral flexors. And I just remember sitting there like this going, wow, anti-rotators, anti-lateral flexors. Hmm, you know, I just sat there kind of scratching and thinking, okay, Mm -hmm. kind of it was sort of that moment of now I get it, you know, these muscles. And that's why the analogy I use it to perform perform better thing. I would say the muscles now are like the ropes on a sail. So you've got a mast and you've got sails, but what's really gonna help you is the ropes. But a lot of times though, you know, it's not just pulling the ropes in. That's not what makes the boat go. Right. You know, it's that ability for the rope to stabilize the sail stabilize the mass, like it's a, it's a much more intricate process. And I think we looked at it really simplistically for a long time. And as a result, we failed a lot of people with back pain. We had a ton of people. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people with back pain that I probably told to do something that was absolutely 100% wrong with the, the idea that I was going to help them.
0: What's the best thing that you've ever
1: done to help your own back? Stop Stopping the rotational stuff without question when i stopped cuz i can remember i and again i should have known better but we had a lot of that stuff in our warm up cuz it was kind of standard track warm up stuff i would call it where you'd do like hip crossovers and 9090 and it was a big like uh in the early athletes performance stuff they did a lot of that stuff too and so we put a lot of it in the warm up and i can just remember doing it and thinking Man, my back cracked but the next day i definitely feel worse like i don't feel better and i had gotten to the point where i couldn't uh I couldn't sleep for more than five or six hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, because my back would ache and it would wake me up. And then, as I started to understand this idea about the fact that rotational range of motion should be limited and that these muscles should be working to control my spine more than to move my spine, and I started changing what I was doing, you know, not trying to stretch into rotation, not using my leg as a lever to produce lumbar rotation, things like that. Like I was doing all of those things. And then I was realizing that, wow, you know, this is, my back is definitely feeling better. So part of it for me is kind of that the proof was in the pudding a little bit in the sense that I do this. I tried these things myself and I thought, oh no, I feel way better. Wow. And that's even the rock mat thing, walking on rocks. I still go out all the time in the morning. I go out to get the paper in the morning and I walk out of my driveway. I always go barefoot. Very good. Very I want to get that stimulation on the bottom of my feet. I have rocks in my backyard, like by my hot tub, and even now, you know, just recently, I just bought a uh, a sauna because again, I think the sauna research is really compelling. There's a lot of solid research showing the benefit. They're showing sh- sauna benefits for dementia. They're wow. showing sauna benefits in a lot of different areas. So I just ordered. I actually, I think it's going to get delivered today. I ordered a twenty five hundred dollar you know, seed or sauna that I'm going to put inside my garage. Is that infrared? So, yeah, infrared. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, as I said, I wanted our audience to meet you,
0: uh, for those that haven't had a chance to be exposed to your work. And uh, I know we have limited time today, so I'd be remiss if we didn't cover a little single leg training. Because many people injure their backs, you know, getting underneath a bar, loading up on a back squat, right? And and yep. then have an improper form, Uh, you know, so... Uh, If you could, I I mean, share what you have been sharing for so many years at the conferences that I've attended, um, you know, probably nobody could break it down in a shorter summary than you. Uh, So if you could, uh, the single leg training and why it's more beneficial than doing uh, double
1: leg training. And I think it goes back to the same exact idea. So for us, or for me as a strength coach, at that time in the beginning, I'm in the university setting, I'm working with hundreds of athletes. And the one thing that we realized is that only one thing related to back pain, squatting. There was only one. So if we looked at sort of what what made people sore, what caused people to get sore, whatever it was, I would say in 90% of the cases, it was back squat, where somebody would say, you know, my back has really bothered me, it bothers me when I squat. There was nothing else that we did that seemed to have the impact that the back squat did in a negative way on our athletes. and. So we went, we did all kinds of stuff. Again, we had back school for our athletes. We had them all in the training room and they were doing all these stabilization exercises. And we bought belt squats and we switched to front squats and we did all these things. But we just found that heavy bilateral loading was not working for 10 to 20% of our population. And then we, so then we started to explore the unilateral idea. And what we started to see in the unilateral idea was a bunch of things in terms of one, the back pain thing went away. Mm -hmm. The people that were doing unilateral exercise were never dealing with back pain again. And and that made a big impression on my mind. Okay, wait a second. I've basically, I've I've taken my 20% of the people who had back pain, I now do unilateral stuff. None of them are relapsing. I don't have any of those people in pain anymore. As soon as I put them back to bilateral exercise, they've got pain again. That started to really resonate in my mind. Then we started to look at things like, bilateral deficit the idea that you actually are more capable from a strength standpoint on one leg than you are on two and for a lot of people a lot of people don't want to believe that don't want to agree with it don't want to think about it whatever it is but it is reality bilateral deficit is is a a real concept and in the same idea you bypass the back because i you know and this goes back i always use this franz bosch quote but one of the things that he said is that squatting may in fact be a maximum strength exercise for the low back and not for the legs. So your low back is what gives out, not your legs. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking, I think he's right because when we're doing split squats or variations of split squats or things like that, or even when we belt squatted in a bilateral sense, people could handle way more weight because Mm -hmm. we eliminated what I called in 2009 when I first kind of put this out to the universe a little bit. I said, you eliminate the bad transducer and your low back is a bad transducer, it's not a good vehicle to transfer force from your legs to a bar that's on your upper body. It's ineffective because it it doesn't tend to accept the same level of load. And I always, the simple analogy I use for the average meathead is think about the bodybuilders who knew that they could do heavy leg presses after they squatted, right? Guys would be like, yeah, yeah, I do I do my sets of squats, my five sets of squats. Then I hop on the leg press. and I really blow out my legs in the leg press. Right. And I used to think, well, why do they do that? They do that because they know that they don't have to worry about their low back anymore, that they can just hammer their legs. Right. And then they go back and they do even more um, single joint stuff. Then they're like, yeah, and then I do some leg extensions. And you'd be like, your legs have so much more juice left in them that you never get out from squatting because squatting gets limited by your back. And when you try to force that bypass, a lot of people are going to have back pain. It's amazing the number of people with back pain who don't want to accept that squatting, that's something that they like. And you've heard me tell the story, but I I always use um, the idea of slamming your hand in a car door. And, you know, I say to somebody, if you'd slammed your hand in a car door and you said to me, you know, my fingers are really healing up. I'm feeling better. You know, I can move my hand again. I can't wait till I can slam it in the car door again. (laughs) Somebody would think, like, just like you did, they laugh like, oh, that's so stupid, right? But for some reason with things like squatting and bench pressing, that's not the case. Like you'll have someone, I hurt my back squatting. You know, I've been going to physical therapy. I've been rehabbing. You know, I think I'm just about ready to get back under the bar again. And I look and think, isn't it the same as the slamming your hand in the car door thing? Like, why would you go back to the mechanism yeah. that you knew was what injured you? And then why would you go back when you know the research says, you can handle more weight unilaterally, and then you get into the last couple of years. I've stumbled across this Alex Natera research, and Alex is an Aussie rules football guy. Uh, at that time, he was actually in uh, Aspire Academy in Qatar, I believe, or Qatar, Qatar. I'm not sure how you pronounce that one, but um, but he talked about the fact that basically he did the research. He did <clears throat> that a body weight single leg squat was equivalent to putting body weight on your back in a double leg squat. So, and he used, I would say it's great because he was, uh, he's, uh, uh, well, from a British descent, I guess. So they're metric system people. And he would basically say, you know, a hundred kilo guy doing a one leg squat is going to squat 84 kilos because he's going to squat the weight of his torso plus the weight of his free leg. He said, a hundred kilo guy putting a hundred kilos on his back is also going to squat 84 kilos per leg because of what the weight of the torso is and you know and they just he proved that out mathematically which i love because it for all of the the naysayers all the negative people all the people who wanted to disagree with me alex's research is really powerful because it's like well just go look at the math guys the math is staring you in the face and yeah. there's no way around the math
0: so that math, you know, you've popularized a uh, rear foot elevated device uh, to where you know when somebody's doing a single leg squat, they can have their uh, rear foot on there. How much more can a person put on one leg, mathematically, typically? I guess you know uh, than on two legs. Uh, you know what? What are your? Well, yours- you
1: know what they say: rear foot elevated. It's about seventy-eight percent versus one hundred percent of your body weight. Mm-hmm. So it would really like. The math, it's like, it's like 78% of 84%. So if you multiplied it out, when you're doing a rear foot elevated, it's, you you could probably use, I would say, uh, let's say 75% of your max, but 75% of your bilateral max, which is thinking that you would normally be thinking 50%, right? Right. Like, you know, if I could squat 400 and I'm going to do some kind of one leg squat, it would be great if I could do 200. But right. then when you start thinking about what the weight of the torso is and what the weight of the free leg is, it, it gets complicated mathematically. But people, the bottom line is people can do way more on one leg than they can on two when they double the weight. Like most people just look at, but wait a second, you know, I am I can squat 400 and I'm doing these rear foot elevated split squats and I'm only using 100 pounds in each hand. So that's only 200. And you kind of look and think like, it's only 200 but it's like one leg one half you know what i mean it's
0: right right it comes out to where you are actually applying more
1: load to that single leg than you would in a bilateral movement Um, way more like our guys go i mean far far beyond uh, what people would think was reasonable to be honest and that's as i said that's because we've eliminated that Bad transducer. We've eliminated that low back as the limiting factor because suddenly now, if you're doing you know whatever rear foot elevated split squats with hundred pound dumbbells, your spine is only receiving a two hundred pound load, Mm -hmm. but your leg, your leg is receiving the equivalent of a four hundred pound load, but actually technically seventy eight percent of a four hundred pound. So it's really a three hundred twenty pound load because it you know gets a little bit. The math gets a little bit fuzzier when you start thinking, okay, what's the back leg doing? It's a lot, the math is much better when you're just one leg squatting. And that's one of the reasons we've switched to pure one leg squatting. We do way more pure one leg squatting than we do rear foot elevated now.
0: Wow. You know, so what we're really doing here, what we're talking about is reducing the pressure that you put on the back while increasing the load that you put on your legs. So therefore getting the result that you were really
1: after to begin with, which right. was working your legs, right? Right. Uh, so that's well, I always look, I think, what's the target? And if the target was your legs and, you know, effectively it would be like, you know, someone said, you know, you're going to, you're going to shoot an arrow at a target, but I'm going to put another target in front of it, you know? And so you're trying to shoot an arrow at a target that says legs, but in front of that leg target is this target that says low back, you know? And you're like, I keep hitting the one that says low back. And you're like, yeah, because it's in the, because I put it in front of the leg target. You got to move it out of the way, right? (laughs) Yeah, you got to move it out of the way and then you'll hit the leg target.
0: Well, I know I said I'd be respectful of your time. So I wanted to ask you, you know, I, I, you're, to me, you're such an iconic figure in our industry. And, uh, I just wanted to know, uh, I know it may be a difficult question to end with, but what do you want your legacy to be with all the, uh, basically you've invested so much into people like myself, you know, uh, Conference after conference, presentation after presentation, hosting your website, writing your blogs, doing all the things that you do. Um, you know, what is it that you you hope that people can gather
1: from? You, well, you know, it's actually because I've thought about this because I've been asked it before. It's a really easy, honestly, I would if, if people just said, Hey, he was a really good dad, he was a really good husband, he was a really good boss, you know, and he was really nice to the people at the seminars, I would be more than happy if that was my legacy, if, if it was more than that and people said, Hey, you know, I thought he was one of the smartest guys or whatever, that would all be great. But I'd much rather, I think be recognized for the human aspects of it. I'd much rather people say, Hey, he raised two really good kids. He was really good to his wife. He was really good to the people that worked with him. He was really good to the attendees because these are a lot of the things that I've seen people fail at in very successful situations. You can see a lot of sporting coaches or sports-related people and realize, wow, they achieved elite status in their activity. But from a personal standpoint, they really failed. They didn't, you know, they were divorced or, you know, their kids grew up, you know, a mess or, you know, the people that work with them thought they were assholes or whatever it was. So I would much rather have the, the first part than the second part.
0: That's good. You know, there's a quote, it kind of reminds me along those lines. It says, it's more important to be kind than to be right. You know, and it's just like, yeah, if I could it. you know, remembered for being good rather than being right all the time or elite yeah. or whatever that is, you know. Yeah,
1: I would much rather people said, oh, I love Mike Boyle. He was such a good guy. Yeah. Then really somebody good. said, I love Mike Boyle's lectures. And I thought he was so smart. Like I'd way rather have the good guy thing. And what if they said, what was with those damn flip-flops?
0: what would you want them to know
1: (laughs) I want them to know that they're scientifically sound UFOS is made to reduce the force of ground contact by 40% that's why I wear them all the time I still like I'd probably be wearing different flip flops but that's why I wear the UFOS ones so UFOS uh, they reduce say that again if you would. they reduce ground contact forces by 40% wow
0: that's good and so that's another thing for the health of the back right
1: another thing for the health of the back and the knees and the hips awesome
0: well, I gotta I gotta run want. in
1: here and uh and make my appointment. Where where should they go to get more of you? Uh strengthcoach.com is the best place to go. But uh Twitter, I'm mboyle nineteen fifty nine on Twitter, and I'm Michael underscore boyle nineteen fifty-nine on Instagram. And I'm pretty active on all three of those platforms. So
0: well, thank you for being so generous with your time today. Thanks for being on the Overcomers podcast. We appreciate you. Thanks. Glad we could make it work. I'll see you. All right, have a great day.
2: Thank you. Bye bye.